0: If you have a Bible, please turn to Genesis chapter 2 and also Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read first in Genesis 2, 15 through 18, and then I will pray. Today, I want to talk about community. I want to talk about community and how community changes us or how it can change us if we let it. So Genesis chapter 2. Uh, This is like kind of page one kind of stuff. Um, Verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and care for it. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. And the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, I uh, want to submit over all of my notes and my thoughts and my, the, the, the inner wrestling that I'm having even in approaching this sermon. Um, I, I pray for um, truth. I pray for the truth of the scriptures and the truth of God that comes from us from outside of us. That you are God and we are, we are not. And I pray that you would speak to us by your spirit. I pray you align things that are misaligned in our in our, our ideas, our thoughts, our, our, our mental maps that you would realign um, us around what it means to be a part of a community that is after reconciliation and not just after getting along all the time about everything, because that will not happen, um, but help us to do the hard work of community. It is messy, it is hard, it is heartbreaking at times, and so I know that when I I approach this, I realize that when I approach this, there are some people that just love people. And so anytime they hear a teaching on community, they're just so excited because people, they just love them. And there's people in here that don't necessarily like people that much because they hurt them a lot. Like very traumatizing damage has been made in their lives through other people. And they don't like talking about community because people have hurt them. And I pray that you would give us the space and the grace to move in between those two people by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Community and being in community has changed my life. For the first part of my life, it almost destroyed me. Uh, The people I spent time with in junior high and high school, whom I really enjoyed and loved, led me down a path of drugs and selling drugs, et cetera, that resulted in getting expelled from school, almost getting arrested a few times, and a host of other things that one day my memoir will talk about. (laughs) Ash and I finally watched that movie, mid-90s, that everyone was talking about. Um, It was a very raw movie, a beautiful movie, but it was very, very tragic. What kids, what people will do to find community. The main character almost died several times in its desire for community. And I think that's what makes the movie so real. I think that's all of us to some degree. That was definitely me in the mid-90s for sure. Community changes us. And it was the Christian community that ultimately changed my life and made me who I am today. When I was a young Christian, I attended something that the church calls a small group which is basically like a home church, is what we call them at our church where where I got saved. Here at Reality, we call them community groups. And when I first heard about the small group, the home church, the community group, I was a little shocked that people would go to church twice a week. I was like, wait, wait, didn't you just go to church? Why are you going again on Wednesday night? What's this all about? But the first time I showed up, I got it. I realized it was different. It was smaller. There was better food there, better coffee there. And you typically gathered around a living room, and you got to ask questions and share where you've been in this past week in your discipleship to Jesus and what you're struggling with. And then what we would do is we'd break up into even smaller groups to confess sin and pray for each other. And then after that, more food came out. It was amazing. (laughs) And after 10 years of being in a community like that, I changed. It was formative for me. And eventually, God, through the wisdom of some of that community, called Ashley and I to move to Carpinteria to start this church, that carpentry was like a a stop for a residency type program to come and plant this church. And when I moved to Carpinteria, Ash and I moved there, we would only be there for two or three years, but we threw ourselves fully into this community. And once again, by being brought into Christian community, we began to change. In this community, I was taught to trust in hearing God's voice and taking steps of faith that felt like risk to me. I was challenged in new ways and they were they actually wanted, the people, this, people in this community actually wanted to go deeper in my life, in my marriage, and ask really, really difficult questions that I wasn't used to being asked. And they would show up at my home randomly and eat my food without asking. They were like, they were like siblings, and all the way siblings are awesome and very annoying. And I'm still in community with most of those people today. And after being there for three years, we moved here to San Francisco. And again, Christian community changed me. And it has been different being the lead pastor of this community, but still trying to find community in this church. It's different than other Christian communities that I've been a part of, but my community here has been gracious, supportive, honest, and has created an environment for Ashley and I to be ourselves. I don't, my community has, I just realized this recently, my community has changed me over the last, specifically the one I've been in the last three years. And that when I show up into a room, I'm not thinking about how people see me. That's, and I just realized that the last like six months. Where before that, I would always walk into a room like, how are you, how am I being perceived? Am I being perceived as lead pastor? What do you, are you looking for something from me? Do I have to show up as like the Bible? No, I know the Bible guy. Do I have to show up as a counselor? Do I show up as a therapist? How do I show, I, my community has completely changed that. I can just show up as me and that's it. And that's, that's, a, that's a huge thing. Our community has changed us that we can be ourselves and partner with God in seeing us become more like Him. They have partnered with God to see us become more like Jesus. This community has been with us and has seen us grow through some of the biggest changes in our lives, and I don't think we would be who we are today if we were not for this community. Community changes us. And if I was to be totally honest, Christian community has brought me some of the deepest pain in my life pain that is different from any other pain I've ever been a part of. And for the most part, it's that pain that has been occasion for even more change into likeness. If you are a follower of Jesus and desire to change into likeness, which is God's desire for everyone, Christian community is a non-negotiable. Though it is hazardous, <laughs> Christian community is non-negotiable. Joseph Hellerman, in his remarkable book, When the Church Was a Family, starts his book like this. Spiritual formation occurs primarily in the context of community. People who remain connected with their brothers and sisters in the local church almost invariably grow in self-understanding, and they mature in their ability to relate in healthy ways to God and to their fellow human beings. This is especially the case for those courageous Christians who stick it out through the often messy process of interpersonal discord and conflict resolution. Long-term interpersonal relationships are the crucible of genuine progress in the Christian life. People who stay grow. People who leave do not grow. Last week, I shared with you how we, our elders, our staff, and leaders believe that change is possible at this church, that Jesus is, the Jesus community is a community of transformation into Christlikeness. That's just what this is. We are becoming like Jesus together, and the reality is you don't have to stay the same. Jesus invites us into transformation. He invites us into change. And we want to, as a church, make every effort through God's divine power to be part of that transformation He's doing in your life. And because of that, because we can partner with God in our transformation, we wanted to be really clear on how we think about change and how we think change is possible. And so last week, I submitted to you our triangle of transformation or our theory of change, and it looks like this. We change through truth, practices, community, and the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit. We change through truth. Ultimately, that truth comes to us in Jesus, who is the truth, not just the teacher of the truth, though he is the teacher of the truth, but he himself is the truth. We change through practices, rehabituating our life to the way of Jesus. We change through community, a group of people obligated to each other, moving in the same direction, and we change through the Spirit. The Spirit is God in us, that leads us into all truth, who changes our desires, and who is the glue to any real community. Now, I said all this last week, so I won't get into all that today, but I do want to double-click on community and talk about that specifically on how community changes. As I said last week, we're going to save that till this week, and here we are. Now, I'll reiterate It's not just community that changes us, but community is one of the primary ways alongside these others that God changes us into Christlikeness, and today I want to show you how that works. So first, we started in Genesis chapter 1 verse 18. Look at this verse again. And the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. Loneliness is an epidemic in our modern world. It is on the rise in each new generation. Millennials are more lonely than Gen Xers. Generation Z are more lonely than millennials. A new survey found that the average loneliness, loneliness score in America is 44. I don't know what that means. They just say, suggest that, <laughs> that most Americans are considered lonely. Most Americans are considered lonely. In the UK, they recently appointed a minister of loneliness. Yes. You, you probably knew this. Loneliness is such a problem, they are taking political action in the UK. This is wise. A stu- study after study around the world are finding that younger, the younger you are, the more you deal with loneliness, which is ironic with all of the access that we have to social media. With every social app, email, Slack, text message, we are more connected than ever. We can literally interact with almost anyone from almost anywhere in the world, but being connected is not the same thing as being in community. Sherry Turkle, a sociologist and psychologist out of MIT, her watershed book a few years ago, I hope you read it, especially if you're in tech, please say you've read this book, Alone Together, Why We Expect More From Technology and Less From Each Other. She writes this, we are lonely but fearful of intimacy. We'll talk about that later. Not today, but later. Digital connections may offer the illusion of companionship without the demands of friendship. Our network life allows us to hide from each other even as we are tethered to each other. We would rather text than talk. But when technology engineers intimacy, relationships can be reduced to mere connections. And then easy connection becomes redefined as intimacy. Put otherwise, cyber intimacies slide into cyber solitudes. And with constant connection comes new anxieties of disconnection, a kind of panic. See, with more and more connection with people, That becomes curated because all of your connections through your phone and computer are curated. We curate who we want to follow. We curate what emails we want to answer. We curate what we want to say about our lives. We even curate what we look like in our photos. Because of that, we have lost the art of what community is. And as a result, we all feel deeply lonely. And it's a loneliness that results in a kind of panic. And what's interesting is that the Bible actually starts with loneliness. This is how the Bible opens up. This is page one. And the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. Man, Adam, or another way it translated, mankind was alone. And what's strange about this passage of Scripture is that it's, the be- it's at the beginning before sin entered the world, before brokenness happened. It's at the beginning when everything was connected, everything was in harmony. God had fellowship with Adam and Adam had fellowship with God. You actually get this refrain over and over at the beginning of the Bible uh, where God says he created it and it was good. He created it and it was good. And what's strange about this passage in Genesis 2.18 is that there's actually something in God's good creation that's not good. What is not good? It's not good that man's alone. It's not good that mankind is lonely without someone like him but different. Like him but different. Now, most of you know what happens next. God puts Adam asleep and from his side he creates woman. This text is about marriage. But it's not primarily about marriage. This text is about marriage. I know everyone, everyone's thinking, oh my gosh, this is a sermon on marriage because I don't want to talk about it. We just did that survey. Most of you are single. You guys knew that already, but whatever. <laughs> we didn't even, we didn't even survey to figure that out. We knew that, right? You're like, oh my gosh, you didn't talk about marriage. This is, this text is about marriage, but it's not primarily about marriage. It is about marriage and has a huge and wonderful implications on what marriage is and the meaning of marriage. And we'll get there later on this year, I promise. But this is primarily about something different. This text is primarily about how we are created as humans. This text is about how we are created and we are hardwired for community. That we were actually created for community. We were not created for marriage. You were not created for marriage. You were created for authentic community. Some of you will not ever be married. That is just a fact. Jesus was not married. I don't know if that's helpful or not. I'll just say you'll be more like Jesus. I'm, for some of you, that's not helpful. Other people, that's really helpful. I, whatever. This is, the, this, is, this is the reality, but you weren't created for that. You were not created for You were created for authentic community, and the loneliness you feel when you are not in relational, authentic community with other humans is there because you were created for such community, and I can prove this by saying there are plenty of married people, and I would imagine there are plenty of married people in this room that are married and are still lonely, You were created for authentic community. You were created by God. You were hardwired for genuine relationship. Brene Brown in her excellent new book on leadership writes about some myths that we have about being vulnerable with other humans. And she writes, one of the myths that we have is that we can go at life alone. We can be a leader by being alone. We can be our best self by being alone. She writes this. The myth surrounding vulnerability is, I can go it alone. One line of defense that I encounter is, I don't need to be vulnerable because I don't need anyone. I'm with you, she says. Some days I wish it were true. The problem, however, is that needing no one pushes against everything we know about human neurobiology. We are hardwired for connection. From our minor neurons, our mirror neurons to language, we are social species. In the absence of authentic connection, we suffer. See, if you were created by the VCs or the capitalists or the engineers of Silicon Valley, you would find contentment and joy in vague social connections through Instagram and Facebook and text messages and online shopping that you then share what you bought with your friends to get 15% off your next purchase, whatever. (laughs) but you weren't created by them. You were created by God. And not only were you created by God, you were created like God. God, we are told in the opening lines of the Bible, before we're told anything else about Him, we are given hints in the very opening lines of the Bible, and we are told explicitly in verse 26 of the opening chapter of the Bible that God is a community. Genesis 1.26 said, when God turns to create humanity, he says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Let us make mankind in our image, our, us, our, plural. Plural? I thought God was one. Jewish and Christian belief and doctrine both affirms that God is one. There's not multiple gods, there's one God. Christian belief says that God is one yet three, three and one, the Trinity. God is Father, Son, Spirit. We have that woven into the opening lines of the Bible. All are fully God. Now, before I lose you in the unsolvable enigma that is the Trinity, and some of you engineers are like, how does that work? Some of is like, it's like an egg, it's like water. No, it's like, not like any of those things, okay? Just stop. You will never figure it out. You won't. Instead of trying to figure it out, come with me over here. This just, think of this. At the center, God, three in one, the Trinity. God is ultimate reality. At the center of ultimate reality. What this means, let us make man in our image. What this means, at the center of ultimate reality, the center of ultimate truth, is God who exists and has existed from eternity and mutual relational love. At the center of ultimate reality is relational love. God has existed for all of eternity in relational love. At the center of ultimate reality. This is why this is helpful for you. Reality helps us navigate life better. The reason why you are lonely is because that does not fit into how life works. You were created to be in relationship. At the center of ultimate reality is relational love. Now, don't read sex there that's cheap imitation. Don't read porn there. Again, very cheap imitation. And don't even read friends there. That's close, but not close enough. We're talking about relational love. And when God chooses to create us, He creates us in His image, meaning He creates us like Him. So when Adam, and that word is mankind, is created alone, God says that won't do It's not good that man is alone. It's not good that mankind is alone. Why? Because at the center of all that is, is relationship. And the only way humanity could really be like God, the only way that we can really image Him is if we lived in relational community ourselves. This is why you need community. This is why you crave community. This is why it seems our culture is cracking due to a lack of it or a cheap imitation or cheap imitations of it. And because we now live in a post-Genesis 3 world, meaning we live in a world where things are not as they were meant to be. We live in a world where where we are disintegrated, where we are broken, where we are burdened with sin. Because we live in a world after Genesis 3, we need community to make us like God again. We were created in the image of God, therefore we need relationships, and the way it works is we actually need relationship to become like God again, to become like Christ. Part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and be renewed by the gospel is not so much individual, it's communal. A lot of us have grown up, um, and I was a part of this um, really horrible uh, teaching when I was a youth pastor, where it was all about your personal relationship with Jesus, when we were asking people, make Jesus your, Lord, your personal Lord and Savior. Now, some of that came from a really all good intention, but what it did was it made a bunch of individualistic Christians that you thought you could be a Christian alone, and that is not the case. You cannot become like Jesus alone. You cannot become like Jesus with your Bible, and that's it. You can't do it. Most of the things that you're taught to become like Jesus are in and around other people. So, part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and be renewed by the gospel is communal. Acts 2.41, I had you turn to Acts. Turn to verse 41. When the church is getting off the ground and people are trusting in Jesus for their salvation, here here is how Luke, a doctor at the time, here's how he documents what's going on in the church. Peter preaches, people come to faith. This is how he says it, Acts 2.41. Those who accepted Peter's message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Here is why that is significant. Conversion of someone becoming a follower of Jesus is not described as people who make Jesus their personal Lord and Savior. And there were 3,000 souls saved that day. He doesn't say that. Conversion is described as people being added to the church. So, how, how are you converted? You are brought into the church. Now, this is very antithetical to the way that we think today. We're like, um, how, how do you know you're saved? Well, I just, Jesus is my personal Savior. That's how I know. Hardly any of us would describe that as, I'm actually, I belong to this faith community. I was saved by Christ and brought in, and brought into this family of God. This is how Luke describes it. And thus, What he did to this, um, by describing this, is he's saying that people who were saved were added to the church. It goes on in verse 42. It talks about how this church actually functions. They devoted themselves to apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. And they sold property and possessions to give one another to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. and They ate together and with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Okay. So that, by the way, that's beautiful. I'm not going to take anything away from that. That is amazing. It didn't stay there because that's why you have the rest of the New Testament. Because the rest of the New Testament is a bunch of broken people trying to figure this Jesus thing out together. That's why Paul had to write to Corinth. That's why Paul had to write to Galatia. That's how why Paul had to write all of these letters to these churches because it started really good, but actually two chapters later someone dies because they were stingy. At the beginning of humanity and at the beginning of new humanity in Jesus, what we're told is that at the center of it, though it's still messy, because at the beginning of the Bible, it starts with the relational reality, Adam and Eve, and then there's sin, and then there's murder. And there's naked and ashamed and hiding. And in Acts, you have people being brought, relational reality, everyone's saved, brought into this family, they're all sharing. And then Ananias and Sapphira lie and God kills them. At the center, Satan wants to mess up our relationship. I've always found that if Satan can't get to um, uh, the doctrine of the church, he'll get after the unity of the church he'll try to mess up the unity. He'll try to mess up the fellowship. At the beginning of humanity, at the beginning of new creation in Jesus, there is at the center of it re- relational reality because we were created for a relationship and we were recreated into relationship. Therefore, community is a non-optional is non-optional for discipleship to Jesus. You need community to grow. You need community to change. You can't change alone. You can't follow Jesus alone. You can't separate your discipleship to Jesus from being in community with other Jesus people. Now, I think I've, I've proved that somewhat theologically. Let me use the remainder of my time to give you just some like pastoral wisdom on how we grow in community. The first thing is this, that is that relationships and community cause Pain. I want to start here, and here's why. Because some of you guys can't, you're like, okay, here's the buildup. He's got to say something about pain because I'm really hurting relationally. Okay, so let me just stop here. Relationship cause pain. Community, Christian community causes pain. There is no avoiding that. Matthew Lieberman, a neuroscientist and author of this really great book called Social, Why Our Brains Are Wired to Connect, He has a great TED talk. If you don't want to read the book, I recommend the TED talk. He says this, from his studies of the brain, he says that relational pain is real pain. Relational pain is real pain. Whenever you suffer relationally, you might not think that relational pain is even on the same category as like, you broke your arm, you're in pain, oh, this person did this thing to me and I'm in pain, you wouldn't equate those two things as, well, one's kind of like metaphorical pain. You're like, you have a broken heart, that's metaphor. And this other one's real. You actually broke your arm, that's real pain. He said, that's not true. The brain registers both those things as real pain. And he even goes so far as to say, Maslow's hierarchy of needs is wrong. What we, Maslow's hierarchy of needs starts with what hum, every human needs is food and shelter. And then once they get food and shelter, it becomes relational. And then once you have relationships, there's meaning. That's his hierarchy of needs. He goes, that's actually wrong. The very, the, that the base need of every human need is relational need. He goes, you wouldn't even be alive today if someone, at, when you were born a, ba- a, a baby, like took you relationally connected to you and says, I'm going to raise you, I'm going to feed you. If there was no relational connection there at all, you would die. You were, we are, we are wired, we're wired to connect. I, I, uh, if you ever read the book, um, uh, Sapiens, it starts the same sort of way that we, because of the way humans are, 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 are he would say, uh, evolved, I would say created, we were created as social beings. We wouldn't even survive unless there was a relational connection. We need relationship. There is no substitutes for relationship. Now, the Jesus community is a broken community, and relational pain is real pain. But the only cure to relational pain is relationships. The only way you get through relational pain is by being brought into a Jesus community, committed to a Jesus community, and you go through it together. Like Hellerman's quote at the very beginning, for those of us who actually commit to it and go through the ups and downs and the pain of relationships, that's the only way you're going to be actually healed. And so let me say this. One way to get the most out of community is to stay put. If you don't hear anything today, would you hear this? This is so hard to say in this, in this town. You have to stay put if you want to get somewhere. I'm going to read this to you because I read this to you two years ago, maybe three years ago. I should read it every month, but I'll read it, I'll read, I'll read it to you now. This is a vow of stability from a Benedictine monastery. This is a vow of, uh, that everyone takes when they become part of this, of this faith community. And this is their vow. We vow to remain all our life with our local community. We live together, pray together, work together, relax together. We give up the temptation to move from place to place in search of an ideal situation Ultimately, there is no escape from oneself and the idea that things would be better someplace else is usually an illusion. And when interpersonal conflicts arise, we have a great incentive to work things out and restore peace. This means learning the practices of love, acknowledging one's own offensive behavior, giving up one's preferences, forgiving. San Francisco is a very transient and migrant place. San Franciscans can start to feel at some point like an airport, like a non-place that people pass through to get some other place. One of the only ways you can truly change is to commit to a place, to commit to a community that can, that over time can, gets to know you and over time changes you. Now, there's a lot of pain involved in this, but once you're committed to a place, you have the obligation to work it out. Community should be a place of mutual obligation where you are a ob- Obligated to one another through very hard things and the very hard stuff of life. Staying put is some of the—it's like one of the hardest things to talk about in this city. On average, this is one of the things that on this survey we just did. One of the things that we found out is that um, I asked a question, and the, and I, I I was I was they asked me you get two questions to ask the church which two and this was my this was my I don't know if you picked it out but this was mine. Would your community at RSF be reason enough to decline moving to another city for a better job opportunity? That was one of the questions that you answered. And most of our church took the survey, by the way. Not making this up, 66.6 of you, very demonic, y'all. This is very demonic. (laughs) That's not a joke. That's literal number. 66.6 of you said no. Our, my community at Reality San Francisco would not be reason enough to decline moving to another city for a better job. A lot, of, a lot of you left it blank and then some of you answered, yes, I would consider this. Well, this is sad for me on a few levels. It's sad for me, again, um, and I always try to be as honest as I can about this. I honestly don't care if you, okay, this is going to sound really bad. <laughs> I don't care if you leave numbers wise. We are not trying to grow a big church here. My ideal church size would be 250 people. That would be amazing if our church grew to 250 people. That would be the ideal size. Um, So when you leave, it's not like, oh, we lost someone else. Our church just shrunk. That's not why I'm sad. What I'm really sad about is I know that stability in community is what changes you. I sit with a lot of people from our congregation, and I know the things that they want in their lives. And I think we are still under illusion that it's out there. It's just over there. It might be in a new community group. It might even just be in San Francisco, just a different church. And it always makes me sad because stability in community is what changes us. And what stability in community does, more than money and more than job opportunities, is makes us truly happy. It makes us truly even like Jesus. Stability does this. It just does. When you commit to a thing, if you commit to, I mean, choose something and commit to it. You, um, I think uh, most of the people that come through San Francisco uh, say yes to every single opportunity. And if there was like, like when it comes to who you marry, where you live, and what you do, all of those are your decision. Those are like three of the most major decisions you can make in your life, and we think we have to make them alone. Instead of submitting our lives to a community of people saying, help me make this decision. Again, Matthew Lieberman, that neuroscientist I told you about, when he gives his TED Talk, he says that our real superhuman power is the ability to connect, and our kryptonite is not understanding how being in a social community is the real roots of all happiness. He even ends his talk with a personal story of a job opportunity that came up for him in Russia that would pay him a ton of money. He said, for a scientist, I would be making tons of money. But he says, as a social scientist, he said he knows the research. He knows that a a new job and more money will not make me more happy, not at all. But it was still a struggle for him and the hard decision that he ever had to make. And because of his research, it didn't seem like he was a follower of God at all, because just the research, he said for the sake of his family, his family's social well-being and his social well-being, he said no. No to making more money, no to a career advancement, no. He had to remind himself that the real roots of happiness are found in rooted community. This is a social scientist getting there. This is just, th- this, this, this vow of community, that when, the ch- when you're brought into the church, you're brought into the family of God. You, are call-, you call one another brothers and sisters. God is our father. We're, we're, we're like obligated to each other. We are obligated to one another. Now, for a church this size, to be obligated to a church this size. Like, I don't even know who's a part of this church. This is why community groups are so important. So, just a few takeaways here. I would say first, consider staying here longer. If you move to San Francisco for staying here two years, consider staying here four years. If you're saying, I'll stay here four years, consider staying here eight years. If you're like, I'll stay here eight years, just consider staying here. (laughs) Root here. Make a life here. It's deep roots in community that bring about fruit. Also, find a group, a Christian community group. Not a book club. Not a, not a group of people that you meet in your neighborhood that you like and you just all walk around each other and you walk your dogs together and all this stuff. I do that now. It's fine. <laughs> but a community of Christians that are on the same journey towards Christ-likeness together. Community is about relationships. And so sometimes there's all these unconscious fears that we have in relationships like rejection and abandonment and pain. Sometimes these things get worked out without ever really having to change anything, just being exposed to community for a long period of time. When you realize they haven't left me, they haven't rejected me, they've seen these different parts of me and they haven't left me yet. That in itself, now the problem is we're so sucky at community We just think marriage is the answer. And so we're like, oh, I just want to be married so, so bad. And I get that. I I mean I hear that. I don't get on married. I don't to be honest, I don't get that. Marriage is I I, actually I can't get into marriage. I don't have time about that. (laughs) The other thing I'll say about this, the third thing I'll say is commit to the way of Jesus together in a community. Don't make your community about the fact that you guys all like the same music or the same wine or you go to the same movies. You guys can really connect. If you walk into your community group like, I don't get along with anyone. No one's like me. That is family. That's family. (laughs) All my sisters are completely different. My biological sisters are completely different from me. Completely different from me. Community is a really hard word to define, though. That's a really hard word to define. It's, it's kind of everything now. We have an online community, a Facebook community, Instagram community, a tech community, like whatever community. I'm a part of this community. When community becomes everything, it becomes nothing. Again, Sherry Turkle's definition of community is helpful here from her book. She says this, community is constituted by physical proximity, shared concerns, real consequences, and common responsibilities. I just love when people just name what community is. If we place that definition on top of our hope that community is an intentional community that's, that's walking and following the way of Jesus together, a few things become clear. Physical proximity. We need each other physically around us. A community of people that you see once a month but then you text throughout the week is not the same thing. You need to see people. They need to see what you're like just randomly in different parts of the day. Then you see how you act, your facial expressions, the way you show up into a room. You need other people to show you what God is tangibly like. I remember this when Ash and I Uh, the day that we found out that we were pregnant, that night we had community group. And one of the things that we always said was like, we're gonna wait to tell people because we just don't, you never know what's gonna happen. We're just gonna wait for a long time. We just wanna tell anyone. But the second that we heard the news, we're like, we are telling our community group tonight. And so we show up to community group and it was a Shabbat meal. And so we're all there and we're about to do a toast, um, just a Shabbat blessing. And Ash just goes, you guys might have no- noticed tonight, but I don't have wine in my hand. Um, it's because I'm not drinking. It's because um, and she just, and then she, everyone kind of guessed what she was going to say. And, but everybody waited. She goes, because I'm pregnant. And I've never seen so many people instantly cry at the same time, <laughs> like instantly cry, like almost like cartoon cry, like I, tears squirting out of your face. <laughs> and it was kind of weird for me. Honestly, I was like, oh my gosh, like uh, so much emotion. I'm not, it's not used to this much emotion. Cry and then immediate laughter and then back to crying again. That like moment couldn't be couldn't happen over a phone call, it couldn't happen over an email, an Instagram post. It just that does not happen. It's there. It's the but it took the tangibility of being with each other over two years of so much pain with each other to get there. Physical proximity is so important. Second, shared concerns that you you are concerned about being with and becoming like Jesus. You were concerned about the stuff that Jesus was concerned about. This is Christian community, not just community, Christian community. You need other people to point the way of Jesus to you. Now, I know that there's a lot of baggage here because some people use the Bible to manipulate people. This is why you just have to give it time. Sometimes time, as you wrestle through certain things, I've seen that there's certain people in our church community that theologically I just don't agree with, and I think they're kind of weird. And if all, very early on in the church, they'd show up and talk to me, well, you know David says? You know, I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I, I, try, I believe you. I don't know. And over a long period of time walking with these people, I've just come to find the beauty and the wisdom of what they were saying. Now, I had a... I had a kind of nuance it a little bit differently and get down to the grain, the kernel of what they were saying. But it takes a while. Some people come in hot theologically and they just need to be taught, when you come in that way, no one likes you. (laughs) They need to be told that by a community person who says, I like you. I'm just saying you're being perceived as someone that people don't like. (laughs) Do you understand that? And what you're saying is kind of true. Let's get down to it. Like, that needs to happen. That needs to happen when someone comes in hot and go like, Bleh. and that person, though, though their feelings might get hurt, they need to say, well, that hurt my feelings when you said that. Well, Why did that hurt your feelings? Because I, I, I love God so much that I just want to tell people the truth. Like, that's awesome. We love God too. And so we feel like you're, you're just kind of bombarding us with things that we can't take on right now. So can we journey together with this over a long period of time. Typically, we go like, I don't like that person. I'm not going to share anymore what I'm thinking, and I'm not going let, let that person speak into my life. I'm not going to that person for advice, and then slowly that person goes, I like this other community group that's more serious about the Bible. That's what happens. And then you have all these people that are clumped together that just like the same book of the Bible. And you have these people over here that like the same wine. And you have all these people over here that like the same mood. And this is what happens. That's not Christian community. You need to share concerns about becoming like Jesus together. It's messy. It's so messy. It takes time. Years. It takes years. Not a month. Not a few months. It takes years. Real consequences. There needs to be real consequences in your community group. Consequences for sin, meaning confession. Consequences for not being there for the other person. I don't think we should be letting people off the hook as easy as we do. Like, oh, it's no big deal. I wasn't really relying on you anyway. That's kind of what happens when someone bails last minute. Oh, we kind of just didn't really rely on you anyway. But if we are really looking like I really missed you there at that thing, I would love, I want, and this is, this is more than, I want this in my own life. So I'm not putting this on you yet, but I'm going to get there. I want to, I want to, whenever I have to cancel something, I want to not do it through a text message anymore. It is too easy to say no to someone over text message. It is too easy when you had plans for five weeks to say, no, sorry, not tonight, over a text message. I am so guilty of that. I hate that. I want to either go, if I really am going to bail on this thing, I'm going to give him a phone call. I'm like, here's, here's what's going on. What do you think? I don't think we can make it tonight. Not a, hey, sorry, last minute, my bad, uh, emoji, emoji, exclamation point, love you, don't <laughs> hate me, blah, 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 send. <laughs> like, Ooh, got out of that thing. We need real consequences for being in community with each other. Like, what it feels like to not show up to something. That you can't just not show up to your community group by a text. Like, I, again, I want to get there myself. I'm not putting this on you. This is where I want to get. And common responsibilities. We need to ask each other what commitment looks like to each other. We need to ask each other, what do you, do you, is there something you're expecting of me in this thing? Because I want to show up well as a, as a member of our community together. Now, all of these things, there's the, there's the ideal and there's the reality. The, the ideal of Christian community can kill Christian community. If you have an idea of what you think Christian community is like and you're putting that all over your CG leader or all over your group as a CG leader, you can kill your group. We have the ideal, which is, which is Jesus and the community he creates. And then we also have the real, as you keep reading in the New Testament, on how broken everyone is and how many times so-and-so had to rebuke so-and-so or so-and-so had to confront so-and-so or so-and-so had to like, at first season time, they had to part ways. We even see that in the New Testament. And then at the end, they come back together. That happens. I will say this, that relationship and community has been some of the hardest things uh, being, being a part of this church. You guys know very well. Uh, what happened in the church uh, a few years ago and how hard that, that was on the people that left and us that stayed. And it's been hard. And we are still trying. I will say that we are still trying. There are still uh, emails that go back and forth, still face-to-face that have happened, that some that have yet to happen, still, still trying. I know that when, I, when we talk about community, there are a lot of people that are so torn apart by relational damage. Um, and relational pain is real pain. When Jesus died on the cross for our sins, um, the Roman centurions that were, that were next to Jesus, one way that they checked for, um, just checked if someone was dead or, or to actually to make sure someone was dead rather, was they would um, puncture their heart with a spear, so cause it usually about, took about a few days to die on a cross. But because of the way that Jesus was dying, because it was Passover, they had to get him off the cross quickly, so they pierced his heart. And when the centurion pierced his heart, the, the Bible says that both water and blood came out, and, um, and doctors tell us that that means because his heart literally exploded. Theologians say that Jesus died literally of, how did Jesus die? He literally died of a broken heart. His heart exploded on the cross, is is his medical reason for his death. Jesus on the cross went into a loneliness that you will never, never, never know. The, The loneliness that isolation from, rejection from his friends, rejection from his fellow Jews, rejection from Romans rejection from. Ultimately, we are told that there is something that happened where he felt even, quoting the psalmist, isolated from God the Father. A loneliness that we would never, never know. And Jesus went into that kind of loneliness so that you and I would be born again into a family where God said he is our Father who would never leave us or forsake us. And that we could be a part of a community where we can reconstruct and reconcile what it means to be an authentic, real relationship. That is like the promise of the Jesus community. And though there's pain around it, I will not let go of that promise. It is a promise still. Even if you have to figure out reconciliation just because Jesus made you do it, you figure out how to do it. Would you... um, Actually, I'm not going to have you stand. I want to have you just sit there for a second, and, um, and I want to pray for you. If you would, would you open your hands up like this? It's uh, a posture of just being open to God. I just want to pray a, uh, I want to pray a blessing over you. Lord, I, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters that are here, that are experiencing a tremendous amount of pain in their relationships. Maybe their community group has has really hurt them and damaged them. Christian community from another church has done that. Some people have come here to find refuge. They like the size of the church because they could be autonomous. I pray that by your spirit, you would begin to heal things, God. One of the prophecies given about you, Jesus, is that you said a, a, a bruised reed you will not break. Those that feel so beat up, you're not going to take and just finish them off and snap them in half. There's no way you do that. Um, you heal, you mend, you, you bind up, and that's what you do. And so I, I just want to pray for those that just feel broken, like relationally so broken those that feel isolated and alone, those that even might be married and have everything that everyone else wants. They think they have the job, they have the marriage, they have the kids, and they just feel so lonely. I pray, Lord, that you would begin to heal us of our loneliness. Heal us from thinking that we can go at this life alone, that we can make decisions ourselves, that we can just say yes to all the opportunities without any consequence of it relationally wounding us or us wounding our friends by leaving. Lord Jesus, would you do that in us?